0: But Job chapter number one is where we're going to be. And and uh, I, I didn't hear all of what Brother Zach said as far as announcements go, but so some of this might be repetition, but be in prayer for the service tonight, be in prayer for our pastor and his family. And uh, we are praying that those test results will come back negative. And uh, so just be in prayer about that. And I just want to just really go on record and say publicly, I appreciate our pastor and the way that he has really led through this whole COVID thing. It has been quite the ordeal. And uh, I think one of the things that's interesting about this whole COVID thing is everybody has a difference of opinion on that and that's okay you know, let's just give grace to one another one person might be on this end of the spectrum another person might be in on the end of, end of on this end of the end of, end of the spectrum and, and that's tough for an independent Baptist preacher to say because we're not used to people being on different spectrums and and we're used to being you know doctrine you know we need to be over here but when it comes to this COVID stuff it's just You know, on you know what information they choose to believe, and there's all kinds of information out there. But I'm glad our pastor has taken the stand he has, and just made it optional for masks some service and required because that allows everybody to come to to some services. And so I'm just glad about that. And uh, and uh, you know, I told the morning morning service, the 8:30 service this morning, uh, it made my knees buckle uh, a few months ago when pastor was talking about um, this whole COVID thing and how he said, you know, he's pastored 24 years here and 10 years at, at the church down in Denton. And he said last year was his hardest year ever. And that's saying something because I'm sure in 34 years he has gone through some battles. I'm sure things that you guys wouldn't know about just because he doesn't bring that to the pulpit. But he's gone through some things and for him to say that, that means that was a rough, rough year. So I hope you'll pray for your pastor. We've got a, a good man that loves the Lord and continues to push this church forward and it continues to make it stand for the gospel and to stand for right. So I just want to uh, publicly say that I appreciate him and his spirit. So be in prayer about for him, be in prayer for the prayer room, Room. We're going to have prayer room at 5.05, and then 5.30, the service. Like Brother Zach said, we're not sure who's preaching, depending on when the results come back. The preacher said that if the results come back this afternoon, he'll be able to come this evening, but if not, well, you guys might be stuck with me again tonight, so anyway, we'll pray about that, but uh, uh, just be in prayer. The youth choir is going to be singing tonight, three or four songs, so why don't we all come out and back our youth choir. There will be 30, 35, 40 kids up there singing, and they'll be encouraged to see you, and uh, it'll be an encouraged just to be in the house of God. You know, during these days, we don't need less church. We need more church. So much the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, if you don't realize we need more church, just turn on your news and watch for about five minutes. We need more church. We need more Bible. We need more more godly singing. We need more godly encouragement, more godly godly fellowship. We need it, we need it, we need it. Well, Job chapter number 1 like I said, it's 569 in your old Schofield reference Bible. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? Is it your spouse? Some of you might say, well, you don't know the fight we got in this morning on the way to church. You're right, but that's not your enemy. Is it your children? Is it your boss? Is it your employees? Is it your neighbors? Uh, is it some politicians? Is it. Uh, Maybe a, a dictator ruler somewhere, maybe a governor, or who who is your, bo- who is your enemy? We're going to look at that subject this morning a little bit, defeating evil, defeating evil. You know, there's certainly a lot to love about the life of Job. Uh, let me get back to Job myself, but there's a lot to love about Job as you come to the Word of God. In Job chapter number one and verse number one is where we're going to read, and we see the story of Job. Let me get there. Job chapter number one. It says here, there was a man, Job one, verse number one. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. So we see here that in the community, Job was known as a good man. Then jump down to verse number six, and, and we'll read through verse number eight. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before The Lord. So the sons of God are coming before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect, And an upright man, uh, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. What a testimony. The Bible says that Job was a perfect man. It doesn't mean that he was sinlessly perfect. It just simply, we all know that we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But the Bible calls him a perfect man. The Bible uh, uses this phrase with Job and he even uses it with Noah. It means that they were perfect or complete in their integrity, meaning he was a man of uprightness, he was a man of integrity. No one could point the finger and say, you know you, you know, you all think this about Job, but let me tell you, I've really got the scoop on him. You ought to know the truth about Job. No one could say that about Job. No scandalous behavior in his life. You know how many times have we seen where a politician will come out running and they, they look great and all of a sudden some scandals revealed about him. No one could do that with Job. He was He was an upright man. He was a perfect man. The Bible says he was perfect. Number two, he was an upright man. The Bible goes on and calls him in verse number six, an upright man. That's exactly what it sounds like. He had some uh, backbone. He had some determination. He had some uh, convictions about him. He would stand up straight. He would stand up tall. It didn't matter what others were doing. He was an upright man. And the Bible says that he feared God. Boy, what a testimony to be known as somebody that feared God. I want to fear God. I want to fear God a whole lot more than I fear man. Because that's the whole duty of man is to fear God. And then number four, it says he escheweth evil. Just like Joseph, when sin was knocking at the door of Joseph, what did Joseph do? He took off and ran. That's the same thing that Job did. He eschewed evil. We don't use that terminology today, but that simply means he, he pushed it aside or he pushed it back behind him. He eschewed or he escaped evil. What a testimony. Are you getting the picture Job? was a good man. The Bible says that he was a man of justice. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of moral purity. He was a man of faith. He was a man of humility. He was a man that had trust in God. He had a walk with God. He was respected. He was a man of compassion. All these things the Bible tells us. He was a righteous man. We can see the background of Job. Certainly he was a remarkable man but it's interesting, we come to verse 6, and we see that Satan comes into the very presence of God. You know, it's a stunning verse that, that for those that don't know the Bible, but many of us, sometimes we tend to think that the devil is in hell. Well, maybe we get that ideology, or we get that theology sometimes from movies, or we get that from uh, the TV shows, but we might be shocked to hear that Satan is not actually in hell. You know, many th- many think that Satan walks around in a red outfit, you know, horns out the top, a tail out his back, and a pitchfork, and he goes around just shish-kebobbing people. You know, that's kind of our mentality of the devil. That's not what he is like. You know, one might ask, well, what does he look like then? What does the devil look like? Well, if you were to go on onto your TV or or turn on your TV and look, and maybe on a Sunday morning or late Saturday night, you might see what the devil looks like. Now, this might seem a little harsh, but don't shoot the messenger. But you know what? Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 14. It says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that it says if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their work. So we see where the devil has transformed his ministers into angels of light. And it's, you know, you show me a false minister who gets up, maybe he's got a million dollar smile and the, the nice wavy hairdo and everything. And there he's convincing them that people are saved when maybe they are not. I'll show you a man who's a spokesman For the devil, the Bible is clear that the devil is not in hell and he has access to heaven. In verse number six, it says, and Satan came also along with them. What does Satan do when he gets into heaven? This is kind of sad. You know, many times we think of the devil as the false accuser of the brethren. But the Bible says that he is actually an accuser of the brethren. You know why? Because Satan doesn't have to make up anything False about us. All he has to do is go before Satan. I mean, all all Satan has to do is go before God and say, God, do you know what that man down there in Winston-Salem did? Do you know what he thought last night? Do you know uh, what, what, what things went through his mind? Do you know what beverage he partook of? Do you know uh, what he said to his wife? Do you know what he said to his children? He doesn't have to make up anything. All he has to do is lay the evidence before God. He is the accuser of the brethren. The problem is when it comes to, to me and it comes to you, Satan doesn't have to make anything up. Satan says, how about that guy down in Winston-Salem? You know, Satan's really good at at accusing us he, maybe he'll say, oh, that person, they carry a big King James version of the Bible to church. They sing Amazing Grace. They, they smile and they know how just to shake the hands and they, they amen and they testify and all this. The language out of their mouth on Sunday is different than the language out of their mouth on Saturday. The beverages that they might drink at a church cookout is completely different than the beverages that they drink at, a, at, a, at an NFL game or, or watching an NFL game on TV. Those two things don't match up. May, I'm afraid that the devil doesn't have to make things up about us. It's interesting to note, before that old slimy serpent, the devil can open his mouth. You can almost hear, hear the God of the Bible say, look in verse number uh, verse number 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? So God's saying to Satan, Hey, have you considered Job? Do you understand what kind of life he lives? Do you understand that he's an upright man? You can almost hear God's being, bragging on Job. You know, that's really impressive. The Bible says that he's, he was perfect. He was upright. He feared God. He eschewed evil. Once it, what's interesting in Job 1.6 and Job 1.1, 1, 1, Job 1.1 1, 1 is how the community saw him. Job 1.6 is what God saw him. And you know what's interesting? Is those two matched up. What the community saw was the same thing that God saw. I want that to be said in my life. That what the community sees, and what those around us, around me see, and what those at church see, and what those in my neighborhood see, is the same thing that God sees. That hey, I, 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 I'm somebody of uprightness. I'm of somebody of character. There was no pretense. There was no guile. He wasn't a fake. He wasn't a phony. He was true blue. He would be the guy that was the same at church as he was at home and vice versa. God says, hey, what about Job? Have you thought about him? Look at verse number nine and what he says. He says, then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for not? In verse 10 and 11, basically what Satan does is he comes to God and says, God, you don't understand Job is only serving you because he's, he's rich and he's wealthy and all this. And Satan says, let me get to Job. Let me afflict him. Let me strike him. Let me get to him. And I guarantee you, he's going to curse you. He's, he's, just doing, he's just serving you because everything's going good. You know, really, the devil had it backwards. We normally are the closest to God when things aren't going our way. Maybe when we 've come home from work and there 's a note on the, on the kitchen table, and the spouse is saying hey i 've had enough i don 't love you i 'm leaving that 's when we normally get close to God, or when you get a phone call from the doctor and they say that dreaded C word, they say, "You have cancer that 's normally when we get close to God, or maybe when that man or lady uh, loses a job or, or those that are in distress, or maybe you, you get awful news about something that 's when we 're normally close to God we normally get close to the Lord when we need the Lord. You know, when the fridge is full, there's money in the bank, savings is good, marriage is good, kids are good, the dog is good, the cats are good. When all that's going good, we normally don't have time for God. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying the world in general where they don't have time for God. They don't see a need for him, but not Job. He was wealthy. He was highly blessed, and yet he walked with God. God gave Satan permission to afflict Job. So Satan comes to God and says, God, I want to afflict Job. God says, okay, go ahead and do it. I want to make a statement. All our fiery trials are filtered are filtered through the hands of the Heavenly Father. That means everything that comes to us goes through God's filtered hands. He says, okay, go ahead, you can do this. That doesn't mean he necessarily wants all that trouble to come your way, but sometimes it does, and God allows that. You talk about Job. Job was maybe the, the Warren Buffett of the day or the Bill Gates of the day. So that, there we go. We come to the end of chapter 2, uh, ch- end of chapter 1. Chapter 2 is an interesting thing. We see four servants come to Job, and they come with some reports Servant number one, you got to understand, Job is a wealthy man. You can imagine, maybe in your mind's eye, Job is, he just wakes up, he just woke up, he goes over to his Keurig little coffee maker, he makes his coffee, he sits down at the table, and he pulls out the report of the Wall Street Journal, and he's checking his stocks, and he's seeing how his portfolio's doing, and maybe he's got his servant, and his servant has brought him some hash browns, and some nice, good, uh, extra hot pork sausage, and some eggs, and he's getting ready to eat all this, and all of a sudden, Servant number one comes running up to him. Maybe he comes bolting through the door and he comes up to Job and he says, Hey, Job, he said, I, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, I've got some bad news for you. He says, Here's what happened. He says, You've lost 1,000 oxen. He said, The Sabians have come in and attacked you. You've lost 1,000 oxen. You've lost 500 donkeys. He said, And many servants have been slain. You know, That must have been just stunning to Job, and Job must have thought, boy, what do I do now? In just an instant, you've got to understand something about the Sabians. They were a nomad people. They didn't have a land of their own. They just kind of wandered from area to area. They were generally known as a very peaceful people. Last thing you would suspect, that the Sabians would come up and attack Job, but that's what they did. Job hasn't even gotten to his breakfast yet, and yet his 401k is down 33%. He's watching Fox Business News. The thing's going downhill in a hurry. And all of a sudden, that's servant number one. Servant number two comes in and says, Job, I don't know what to, how to tell you this, but here's, here's something that just happened. Here's what he begins to tell him. He tells him, he says, hey, last night, 7,000 sheep and more of your servants have perished in a fire, so now servant one has come to him, servant number two has come to him Job's portfolio is just going down it 's going down, his portfolio is down sixty six percent. He must have been very stunned. He woke up a wealthy man, and now his his his, his wealth is just diminishing and diminishing, diminishing. he 's lost a lot he 's seeing it all crumble right before his eyes. I wonder if he began to think to himself, "Can this day get any worse? Can it get?" Any worse than what's happened. And all of a sudden, servant number three comes in. Servant number three comes busting through the door. Job, I don't know how to tell you this, but here's what happened. Last night, the Chaldeans attacked. More more of your servants have been killed. They've taken 3,000 camels. He was a wealthy man. In just a few hours, he's gone from riches to rags. The story doesn't end there. I'm sure he would have traded all his riches to not hear the report from the next servant. I think he would have gladly said, I'll take all those three, but don't give me that fourth servant. And all of a sudden, the fourth servant comes in from the field, and he says, Job, Job. He says, I don't know how to tell you this. And tears probably just coming down his eyes, and he tells Job, he says, Job, he says, last night, you weren't able to make that family function. Maybe Job was at a business meeting or had business to tend to. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. And here's what servant number four said. He said, there was a gathering. Maybe it was a cookout. Maybe it was a birthday party. We don't exactly know. But that fourth servant tells Job, he says, a great wind came and blew down the building where your family was, knocked down the building, and your ten children have died seven sons and three daughters. Now the devil has assaulted and the devil has attacked and he's laying everything out before Job. Job has lost his wealth. He's lost his riches. And now Job has lost his own family. How does Job respond? How would you respond? Would you be bitter? Would you say, why God, why? Let's look and see how Job responded. Job 1 and verse number 22 The Bible says in all this, servant number one, servant number two, servant number three, servant number four, Job, it says in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be frank. If all that happened to me, I'd be real uh, tempted to charge God foolishly. I'd be real tempted to just throw in the proverbial white towel. But you know what? Job didn't do that. Job, again, he, Satan comes to him a second time. He says, hey, you know, the Lord knows the beginning from the end. Satan comes back to the Lord and Satan says, hey, hey here's what I want to do. Job 2 and verse number 5, he says, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy thy face. You know what uh, Satan's saying? Satan said, hey, God, if you'll let me just touch his physical body, he's going to curse you to his face. So you get the picture? Satan was throwing every fiery dart he could at Job, just trying to take him out and get him to, to curse God. So here's what he does. The Lord gave Satan permission, and Satan comes for one more assault on Job. He afflicted him with the boils, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Now, you have to understand something about a boil. It's kind of like a a piece of skin that's grown up, and it's all pussy, and it's messy and everything. And the Bible says that he was afflicted with the boils, such agony that Job would go through. I don't know if you've ever had a mosquito bite, where you get a mosquito bite, and the thing's just itching you to death, so you just scratch and scratch and scratch and scratch, and all of a sudden, it maybe starts bleeding a little bit, but there is a little bit of relief. But you know what Job did? The Bible says that Job would grab pieces of pottery that were broken. and He would just try to get some comfort. He would just scratch and scratch just to try to find some comfort in that. But you know what? No matter what your thoughts before, one would say that Job right now, he's a pretty pathetic Picture. Job was a rich man. Now what is he? He's a completely broken man. Servant one came to him and said, all this has been taken away. Servant two, servant three, servant four. Servant four says, hey, your seven sons are gone. Your three daughters are gone. I mean, what does he have left? Now, there's, now there were 10 funerals to go to. You know, as bad as it was on the outside, there's nothing like the pain and torture on the, on the inside. You know, I wonder what Satan was possibly thinking. I wonder if he was thinking, I've got him right where I want him. I'm ready just to push him over the edge. He's going to go over in just a minute. He's not going to be able to take any more, but he had one more attack up his sleeve. You know, and some people get down on Job's wife. You have to understand, Job's wife, you know, some people get down on her and think, boy, she, 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 she threw in the towel, she got bitter, she got angry. But hang on a minute, I'm not so rough on Job's wife. You try to go to the funeral of 10 of your children. Let me know how you are. I'm not going to down Job's wife because I've never had to go to the funeral of a child. And some of you have. You've experienced that. But I've never had to see one laying there in a casket. You're not, and Job did that not just once, not twice, not three times, not four times. He did it 10 different times. Can you imagine the agony that he faced? He, but but uh, his wife had to go through that. But you know what Satan did? He said, hey, I'm going to get to his wife now. I'm going to get to her. I can just imagine Satan was seeing it. He said, oh, I see victory is just in sight. I'm getting ready to lift up that trophy. I'm getting ready to to, uh, to lift up the, the drop the confetti. I'm getting ready to have that Gatorade splash, and I'm getting ready just to, to raise my hands in victory. I can see Satan just excited about it. Here's what Job 2 in verse number 9, it says, Then said his wife, unto him, dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. His wife comes to Job, his own wife. You know, ladies, I want to throw this as a side note. You ladies are the spirit of your home. You're the ones that can control. If ma- What's the old saying? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You ladies control the spirit of the home. But Job's wife comes to Job and says, Job, just curse God and die. Satan begins to say, here it goes. He is going to curse God. He's going to blaspheme his name. The devil and his angels are sitting around. What is Job going to do? Job's knocked down. He took a mean right uppercut to the chin. Job's knocked down, but he's not knocked out. Job 2 and verse number 10. Here's how Job responds. He said, Job 2 and verse number 10, he says, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Job's saying, hey, we're going to receive good sometimes, but sometimes we're going to receive evil. He says, in all this did not Job sin with his lips. He didn't blaspheme God. He didn't go, God, why? I'm bitter against you. He did not do that. Can you imagine about that time? Heaven erupts with a glorious cry. Heaven claps their hands and all the angels say, Woo! Those four servants came to him, and all that happened, and we, with the, the, the boils came upon him and everything, yet Job's not charging God foolishly. He's not bringing a false accusation against God. Job beat the devil. I can imagine all that shouting and all that rejoicing, and yet Job kept on serving God. He, he, he defeated evil. And I can imagine if the devil had a tail, he might have tucked it between his legs and just walked off the scene. He was defeated. He was discouraged. But you know what happens in Job 3 through verse Job 3 through Job 42? Not one time do we see the name of the devil or Satan mentioned. Job defeated the devil. You know, this might shake your theology a little bit today. We might convince ourselves, boy, the devil is really working on me. But you know what? We have to understand something about the devil. He cannot be in more than one place at one time. You know, I would venture to say he's probably more concerned with bigger fish than myself. He's probably concerned with bigger fish than yourself, You know, he's probably more concerned with the Kim Jong- Uns of the world of North Korea. He's probably more concerned with al-Baghdadi, the leader of the Islamic State of Iraq. He's probably more concerned with the Adolf Hitler type people of the world. He's probably more concerned with the Saddam Hussein type people of this world. He's probably more concerned with the Osama bin Laden's of this world. He's probably more concerned with a few in Washington, D.C. Okay, maybe a lot in Washington, D.C. But, uh, you know, he's, he's probably more concerned most of us have probably never fought against the devil, but we have fought against a demon. Maybe not the devil himself, but there's a whole lot more people that affect the world a lot more than you and I. Most likely, you and I have never had to do what Job did and defeat the devil. But you know what? Every day we have to defeat evil. Every day we are in a spiritual Battle you know I can imagine job and maybe you can liken it to a boxing match, and he was in the ring, and the devil gave him a run for the money and so round one comes out, and the devil 's just giving him a left, giving him a right, giving him body shots, giving him uh, punches to the head, punches to the chin, round two comes up, round three comes up, round four and he 's just wearing job out, wearing job out and I can see all of a sudden maybe maybe it 's a 12 round fight and job 's getting tired and it 's round eleven and he keeps fighting him keeps fighting him, and all of a sudden Satan comes up and just gives gives him a mean right uppercut, and Job falls down to the ground, and Job's out, and all of a sudden, the, the referee comes over, and he starts getting in Job's face, and he starts counting, one, two, three, four, and Job's, you know, he's trying to figure out where he's at, he's seeing the little birds, you know, fly around and everything, he's seeing angels and everything, and Job, all of a sudden, he gets up, he tries to get his strength together, and he comes to his feet, and the referee still counting, six seven. And Job's staggering, and all of a sudden he gets to seven, eight, nine. He says, I'm good, I'm good. He goes back, and he—he's it's the 11th round. I mean, it's the bottom of the the ninth. There's not much to do. And all of a sudden, Job gets his strength, and he comes over the devil, and he just gives a big cut right to the face and knocks him out. Satan falls back onto the mat, and next thing you know, Job beat the devil. He went toe-to-toe with the devil, You say, well, Brother Mark, that's nice and all that, but how do I personally beat the devil? Or how do I beat evil in my life? In closing, I want to give you three basic thoughts. How do we defeat evil? How do we defeat evil in our life? Number one, I want you to realize, remember, you are on the winning side. You are on the winning side, dear Christian, dear believer, dear brother in Christ, dear sister in Christ. It doesn't matter who is in this world. Let's look at 1 John 4 and verse number 4. It says, ye are of God little children. John's writing, it says, hey, ye are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In 2021, when we don't know what's all going to happen to our nation, I want to encourage you. Ye are of God, little children. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have someone in us much greater than any power in this world. We have someone much greater in us than any politician. We have the King of kings and Lord of lords living inside of us. If you are born again and know Christ as your Savior, hey, we all know how this ends. We've read the back of the book. You look back at Revelation, at all the evil, all the devil, the devil's going to be thrown in the lake of fire, all his demons, all, his, all the lost folks. Not that we glee over lost people going to hell, but we know how all that's going to work out. If we're saved, we're going to end up in heaven one of two ways. Number one, we're going to end up in heaven by way of rapture. Hey, one of these days, that, that trumpet's going to sound. 1 Thessalonians 4 we're going to be raptured on out of here. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be got, caught up together with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. One of these days, we'll be raptured out. That's one way we can get out of here. Number two, another way we can get out is one of, the, one of these days, we might pass on. Our heart might take that last breath. Our step might take that last step. We, our feet might take that last step. We never know. But either way, we're going to be in heaven if we know Christ as Savior. Remember that you are on the winning side. Number two, don't give the devil an inch. Don't give the devil an inch. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse number 27, neither give place to the devil. That's a basic command. That's a command. We're not to give the devil any place in our life. You ever heard someone say, you give them an inch and they'll take a mile? You know, sometimes that's the same way it is with the devil. That's the same way it is with evil in our life. If we give the devil an inch, what's he going to do? He's going to weasel his way in. You know, recently, and we, my 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 family, we've all been talking about maybe buying a or 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 getting a German Shepherd dog, and we almost purchased one over the summer, and so we decided not to. And then recently, about a couple of weeks ago, we purchased one. It was rehomed to us. Uh, somebody was trying to get rid of it because it didn't like the dog. Didn't like cats. I mean, it just thought cats was a play toy or something. So the wife of this particular person had cats, and the husband said, "I've got to get rid of this dog." So we were the we were the lucky inheritors. Of it. So we, we purchased the dog, and, and uh, her name's Tracker. And uh, Tracker is, she's just an eight month old puppy, about six months old or so. Good dog, but just hadn't had a lot of training. She knows a few basic things, but in our house um, where we live, we've got a sunroom, and off the sunroom is a deck, and then off the deck are some steps that go down to our backyard. Well, we just recently painted the deck, you know, and so we're trying to keep it looking nice and everything. You know how dogs are they walk in the mud and then they come up on your deck, and you got footprints all over it and they come up to your glass door and they scratch on it. The next thing you know, everyone knows, oh, that's a doghouse there, you know, because they got footprints all over the door and everything. So we don't want that. We're trying to avoid that as much as we can. And so what we did is since the dog hasn't had a lot of training, we thought, well, how are we going to block off the steps up coming up to our deck so the dog doesn't come up? So we've talked about in the future, maybe buying a little piece of wood and making us a little door for the, the entryway so it can't get up the steps. Well, in the meantime, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. You got to make do with what you got. So we went, we, we took a couple of our patio chairs. And so we're really, you know, making do with what we got. So we put the chairs down at the bottom of the steps. So you've got two railings going down. And so imagine this is the, the backyard here and these are the steps going down. We, we put one chair and we put it sideways. And we put it right there. We take another chair and we stick it right here. And we just pray that the dog won't bust through the steps and come on through. Well, you know what we figured out, if we don't quite block that off just right, you know, where the chairs are wedged in just right, that the dog, he's going to weasel his way in. He gets his little snout in there, and then he's able to move the chairs, and he comes up next to, you know, he's up on top of the deck, you know, saying, hey, I'm the king of the castle, you know, that type of stuff, you know. But you know what, that, that dog, is much like the devil. You know what that dog does? He just gets his little snout in there. He sticks it in just in a little space, just in a little open area where it's not quite closed off. And before you know it, boom, He's right on top of, of your deck there. You know what? The devil's the same exact way. If we allow just a little crevice where the devil can get in, he can wreak destruction on our life. He can wreak havoc on our, our marriage. He can wreak havoc on our home. He can wreak havoc in our life. He can wreak havoc on our spiritual walk with God. The devil is much the same way. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, ne- neither give place to the devil. Don't give the devil an inch. What is it in your life that you need to say, "Hey, I'm struggling with this and I just need to get move it out of the way. I need to take care of business." Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe you have a temptation with alcohol. Why do you want to set yourself up and walk down the beer aisle? Or maybe it's music. Why do you want to listen to that tune for just a few seconds? You say, well, I'll just listen to it for just just a few seconds to bring back some memories. And next thing you know, you're listening to worldly music. We need to not give place to the devil. Number one, remember you are on the winning side. Number two, neither give place to the devil. Don't give the devil an inch. And then number three, in closing, always be on the alert. The Bible says be sober be vigilant. That word vigilant just means to be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If the devil is on the alert, if he's on the prowl, if he's on the watch, why shouldn't we as Christians? You know, you take a lion out in the wilderness in the safari, they're on the prowl. But you know what? All the animals that are being hunted, they're on the prowl too. Like, whoa, that lion's after me. Hey, we need to be safeguarding our homes. We need to be safeguarding our spiritual life. We need to be safeguarding our thought life and say, Hey, the devil. I'm not. I'm not going to get spooky about this, but I need to realize the devil is real. Demons are real. The e- evil is real. I need to safeguard my myself. I need to be on the alert. Always be on the alert. 2 Corinthians two and verse number eleven. It says, "Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant." of his devices. Now when the Bible says devices, it's not talking about a grenade or an AR-15 or a, a bazooka or that type of device. It's talking about we are not ignorant of his devices, meaning we are not ignorant of his methods. We're not ignorant of how he works. We're not ignorant of how he connives. We're not ignorant of his MO, his method of operation. What are some of his methods of operation? How does the devil get you out of the fight for the Lord? How does the devil get you off track? I wrote down just a couple things. Number one, he would use discouragement, and he'll use discouragement. If he can get you discouraged, he can get you out of serving the Lord. If he can get you uh, discouraged about this or that or whatever, and he'll use any tool, if he can get you to doubt God if he can get you to doubt the existence of God if he can get you to doubt your salvation he'll use anything he can that's a method that he uses if he can get you to become un- unfaithful to church attendance if he can get you to become unfaithful in your bible reading or unfaithful in your in your prayer life if any of that if he can just wedge his way in he's going to be on top of your deck before you know it he'll be there and he'll say well i've got that person i've taken him out we need to be Uh, cognizant. We need to be aware of his devices. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 13, it says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You know, there's something encouraging about that verse. The Bible says, hey, it's common to man. You know what? I'm not here to be uh, callous towards anybody's heartache, but you know what you're going through is probably Not rare. Somebody else somewhere out there is facing that same thing. It may be something I'm facing. Sometimes I can think, boy, uh, no one one has it as rough as I do. And we've all been there. But you know what? If we just stop and think, hey, there's plenty of people out there, probably even with worse than than we are. But the Bible says, hey, it's common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. He's not going to give you more than you can bear at times you might think it. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it? It doesn't mean you're going to be able to get away from it, but you're going to be able to bear it. You can bear the temptation. You don't have to give in today. You say, Well, Brother Mark, you don't know what I did last week. This is a brand new week. You don't have to give in this week. You can defeat evil. It's only the second Sunday of the new year. Why don't you resolve? Say, I'm going to, I'm going to remember that I'm on the winning side. I'm not going to give the devil an inch. If there's something I need to go home and get rid of in my house, or if there's a radio station I need to change, or if there's something in my life I need to make right, I'm going to do it. Don't give the devil an inch. Number three, always be on the alert. Parents, be on the alert. Teenagers, be on the alert. Young person, be on the alert. Middle-aged person, be on the alert. The devil wants to destroy your home. The devil wants to destroy my home. Older person, the devil is still out to get you. The demons are still out to get you. He's wanting to discourage each and every one of us, and if he get it, he'll use any tactic he can. Always be on the alert. You don't. If you know Christ as your Savior, why don't you pray and resolve in this new year? Hey, I'm going to resolve to do right. I'm just going to live for God. Maybe you say, "I'm here today, and I don't, I don't know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but I'd like to know." I 'd like to learn more about it, and here, in just a few minutes, Ms Lisa's is going to come and play her the piano, and we, what we, we give what we call an invitation it 's an invite for you to come, number one, if you don't know Christ as Savior, it's an invite for you to come and ask Jesus into your heart and take you to heaven when you die. If you're a man and you come forward, we'll have a man show you. We won't embarrass you. We won't have you give a speech. We won't have you come up on the platform, but we'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that when you die, you go to heaven. That's the most important thing. It's not about, you know, how well you enjoyed our service and everything. We want you to know that if you were to die, You'd go to heaven. The Bible says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for just a little time and then vanisheth away. We're just passing through. The Bible says, This world is not my home. We're just passing through. Or the song says that. You know what? One of these days we'll be gone. But do you know Christ as Savior? And then, Christian, how about you? Do you you need to remember that you are on the winning side? Do you need to be encouraged to not give the devil an inch? Do you need to be encouraged to always be on the alert? Maybe you've got a little bit of lax in your Bible reading. Maybe you've got a little bit of lax in your prayer life. Maybe you've got a little bit of lax in your faithfulness to church. Why don't you resolve to do right this year? Let's all stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. By way of invitation,